and welcome to the Drop Stabs Weekly Show. My name is Danny Johnson and this episode we have Dane Reynolds on the show to discuss his recent film Short Circuit that stars Andrew Doheny. Depending on who you ask, Dane might still be the best surfer in the world and he also might be our best filmmaker too. I also asked Dane some questions about his company, Forma, because along with his partners, Craig Anderson and Austin Gillette, they have some big news with an additional member joining their team this week. After that, I chat to Jack Mutchler, who if you're a keen reader of stabmag.com, you might know from the articles he's penned under the moniker, The Intern. Jack recently wrote a story titled, Youth Wasted on the Young, Does Experience in Surfing Outclass Electricity? And I think you'll know what he's talking about. He's talking about all the geriatrics that are dominating high-performance surfing at the moment. Some of the most obvious examples being people like Kelly Slater, who is currently 49 years old and finished eighth in the world the last time a full year ran on tour. 49! Then we have Nathan Fletcher, who is doing some of the biggest airs that have ever been done, and he's 46 years old. He won the Monster Air at Van Stab High in Indo last year. And I mean, they say age is just a number, which is true, but numbers are stats and stats are informative. A big number on the age graph used to mean that you were closer to a nursing home than you were from doing the world's best performance surfing, at least it used to mean that. This week in surf news, it's still all about the WSL and their, their Australian leg of the tour. The four big things that happened this week are the Gold Coast Pro at Snapper Rocks has been cancelled. Number two, events at Narrabeen, New South Wales and Rottnest Island, Western Australia have been added to the Australian leg, rounding it out to an even four comps with Newcastle and Margaret River in the mix as well. Number three, the three recently added WSL events, Newcastle, Narrabeen and Rottnest Island, have all been sponsored by Rip Curl. And number four, Pat O'Connell is out as the WSL's head of tours and, and competition. And he's been replaced by Jesse Miley Dyer, who was formerly uh, uh, running the women's side of the tour. So she'll be running the entire, to, the entire tour now. So no Snapper Rocks event and no Bells. And it'll certainly feel weird to have a year on tour where Snapper and Bells don't run, particularly Bells, because it's been running for 60 years, 60 years. But on the other hand, the WSL audiences have been crying out for variety for a long time. And the, the old Rip Curl search events were such highlights every year, getting to know new spots. And this might even be a change agent in this direction. So we've got Rottnest Island this year, which is uh, the first time it's ever been a world tour event. And I'm not going to go on about this too much because Mikey, Sarah Mella and Stace Galbraith are going to release an episode of Cusp on this same very feed shortly where they talk to Australian WSL Big Dog, the man responsible for the new events, Andrew Stark. So uh, in the meantime, if you're not sure what sort of ways to expect for the event at Rot Rotnest, then uh, this is a quote from a story on Stab Premium that Chris Binns wrote. The story was titled, What the Hell is a Rotnest and Why is the CT Going There? The wave at Strickland Bay is pretty high performance, says Aussie-style icon and Julian Wilson's coach, Luke Egan. And if it gets well, this will be a great event to watch. A mini Margaret River is a pretty good description, but it's more of a mixture of rock and sand. It's almost a beach break style of wave, but over reef with plenty of push, which makes it even more fun. That sounds pretty good. 
In video news, John John released a vlog titled Return of the Sambar and everyone knows, of course, that it is local Hawaiian law that all surfers must have vlogs. Can you imagine the server space that Hawaiian surfers are taking up at YouTube headquarters with all these videos? Just warehouses full of hard drives of people enjoying um, uneventful lunches at Pupakea Grill. But uh, in saying that, this vlog is actually great. It's John John surfing shories that uh, essentially they just look impossible to surf. They're, they're not even double ups, they're triple ups. And at the end of the video, Jack Robertson features in the clip, which is actually a bit disappointing. Two of surfing's great young talents and I want them to hate each other and be fierce rivals, but hanging out on the porch post-surf is, um, is what you see at the end of this video, which is... I mean, it's good for them, I guess, but not so good for me. Harry Bryant's new octopus part is psycho. He, it only goes for six minutes and he's just going so incredibly hard and the whole thing is just banger after banger. And I mean, it's quite considerate of them to do that, to make it so condensed, but it is just so compact. It's such a visual onslaught of... of hi-fi surfing it's it is definitely uh one of the most entertaining um surf sections that that you'll ever find and i just don't know how he found so many air sections or 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 that he didn't end up with two broken legs with how hard he's going throughout this clip um and let's try and call harry right now see if we can get him on the phone to chat about this Hey, sorry I missed you there. What a bloody bummer. Uh, you called Harry's phone. I'm currently driving around Australia with a pretty patchy reception. Um, if the matter is urgent, you can email me on harrybrown.com. But otherwise, keep in your pants and I'll speak to you when I'm speaking to you. Bye. Email? No one's emailing in an emergency. That's You go straight to the phone. Email's like the slowest form of... I don't really get his logic there, to be honest, but I've been brushed two weeks in a row. Um, which I guess leads me to the highlight of the week in terms of video news was Droids Clip Short Circuit by Dane Reynolds. So let's cut to that chat with Dane now. Hey, what's happening, dude? Hey, Dane. How you doing? Good. I'm just turning the show on for my kids and then I'll walk up to my car. Oh, yeah, no worries. What, what are they, what do you put in front of them normally? I don't know. They're saying a train movie. <laughs> What's train movie? I have no idea. They're going to point at it. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Just a pretty regular old day here in the stab office. What's been happening over there? Um, took my kids surfing. So wait, how old is he now and, and how long has he been surfing for? Uh, yeah, Sammy's my oldest boy. He's like coming up on six. Uh, surfing, I have taken him two days. <laughs> oh, really? And is, is he into it? He's a pretty timid little dude. Uh, he's not very adventurous. And uh, 
definitely like errs on the side of caution in every way. So I've just been trying to like not scare him. And so far, I guess it's been a success because I haven't scared him yet. <laughs> Literally like a three inch whitewash hit him when he was two on a boogie board and, it, and it, the bodyboard landed on top of him. And he was like freaked until pretty much now. Oh, no. <laughs> oh man. I love the film. I was, I was so, I was kind of blown away by it because it was, it was really different to anything I'd seen recently. And I mean, we're recording this before it gets released, but I'm, and I'm sure people are going to freak out. How did, how did it come together? Uh, that's really cool to hear. Um, I mean, how it came about was Andrew called me. This was about two years ago, and Volcom had offered him kind of a bunk deal. He'd been injured for about a year, and was curious if there was any opportunity at former. And I told him that basically like we can't even pay our employees, you know, like there's no money in it. And if you can get money anywhere, like that's a blessing to be able to get earn money from surfing. So he went back to Volcom and they were like, Oh no, well that's gone now. You told us no. Oh no. Um, so then he hit me up and he's just like, Hey, I just want to do whatever you guys, whatever you're doing, former suite, whatever. So sit on a box of clothes. And then I decided we should go do like a welcome to the team type of trip. So we went to Panama and got funnish waves, but not enough for like a full part. So we kind of kept doing a few surf trips and then he just vanished and I'd get occasional texts from his buddy. Like, hey, uh, Andrew's phone's broken. Uh, he wanted to see if you need anything from him. I'd be like, uh, no, not really, but <laughs> what are you guys up to? Come surf. Like, what are you doing in Newport? And then his mom hit me up and was like, hey, something something bad's happened. He's all right now. He'll tell you the story when he, when he gets out or when he's able to or something like that. I had already started recording our, our phone calls. Cause he told me that that's something he likes doing and he has all these crazy tapes of crazy conversations and that he wanted to do something with someday. Oh, no way. I was really interested to know how that dynamic went down. Cause I wasn't sure if he knew you were recording the calls when you were having them. Cause that was so like vulnerable and, and, and honest. And I wasn't sure if you were like secretly recording them to get that. Well, I, he knew I was recording other conversations and then that one, I thought that it needed to be recorded because I genuinely didn't know what had happened. And I was already kind of invested in this. And I was like, felt I had to document everything from here on out, you know, kind of. Yeah. And I, I recorded that not knowing what was going to happen or what he had to tell me, but felt like it might be important to this story. And then after I got off the phone call, I was like kind of dwelling on it for a while because I knew he, he didn't know I had recorded that one. And it was far more compelling than any other conversation that we had had. And since there was no end to the story at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to hold off on this whole film for now. Maybe just put out a surf part down the line if we're able to get more footage. And then, honestly, 
when it kind of clicked was when he started sending me all these tracks where he was kind of processing the whole the whole like experience through his music um and then he sent me internal maze which is like you know directly reflective of his experience and that's when it kind of clicked that maybe that part of the story works and has some resolve with you know using those exper- bad experiences to to create something you know but I'll never know if the high is worth the low I love to go fast, I fucking hate going slow I've done Yeah, it's, a, it's such an incredible song and it does have that art therapy feel to it mm-hmm. And it sort of freaked me out like because I was like, this is like one of the best songs I've heard in a long time and I feel like just because he doesn't have a record label or he doesn't have this huge backing that so many people aren't going to hear it do you, do, you ever, do you ever think about that sort of thing? Like how much you might love that song, but it, it just, it might not have like this huge audience. Totally. And I hope, you know, this film just brings exposure for him. And for me personally, um, it's some of the fa- my favorite music I've heard in a really long time. Like if I don't, knew nothing about him and I heard that, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Like who made this? Like, and I feel like it has the, the possibility, the potential to be a cult, classic type of an album if it gets heard by the right group of people maybe get some momentum going but for me it's like super out there really genuine pure expression in the vein of like uh moldy peaches or daniel johnston or uh even even a little bit like do you ever heard jeffrey lewis it's got that really lo-fi recording but super uh, personal storytelling but also like uh, you know, kind of quirky and creative sort of takes on the lyrics? Um, I have not heard Jeff Lewis, but um, it also kind of reminds me of Bright Eyes and Elliot Smith in a way too, with like just like the pain pouring through kind of, you know, like there's a lot of, it's really, it's really, I don't know, just pure quality expression through art, you know, is what I see it. And I guess we haven't really, for anyone who hasn't seen the film that's listening to this, we haven't really explained what happened. But basically on this phone call where you're checking in with Andrew, he he explains that he, you know, he ended up in in a psych ward due to, I guess, a drug-related episode. And, and you guys don't go into extreme amounts of detail about it. but Well, we did. <laughs> the real phone call is, well, I just think for the sake of the film and for a broader audience and not to expose too much to make him too exposed. I chose the path of not brushing over it, but not, not getting too detail oriented. Actually, it was really delicate for me and the responsibility of telling somebody else's story. Yeah. I think you walk that line really well because you definitely engage people with the reality of it all, but you don't, it's not overly, personal yeah i don't want it to be too explicit you know so what happened oh Oh, no what didn't happen (laughs) (laughs) well dude i uh ran into a tree fell down a hole (laughs) (laughs) like actually no like like metaphorically speaking (laughs) i really told you what What's going on? You probably think I'm a crazy person. <laughs> and how is Droid now? Is he is he in a good place? 
he is, dude. I mean, it's gnarly, gnarly process. It's so gnarly, and I'm really proud of him. Oh, that's such good news. He's trying really hard, and honestly, the film wouldn't have worked if he wasn't doing well, and that was a huge stressor on me as well. I wouldn't have released the film as it is if I didn't have confidence in him doing well from here on out. But he is doing good. He's, um, I mean, I don't know how much he wants this. I mean, I, I don't fuck. He seems to be pretty <laughs> open about everything, but he's like six months sober. He's starting to feel normal again and get his creativity back. And I've been trying to get him to come up and surf a lot. And he seems to be like feeling really leaps and bounds better. He was sober and like just thought that he'd get back into like his groove of just surfing and being creative again but it just wasn't coming for him and it was really hard to watch him struggle through that but i mean seemingly he's doing very well right now and trying very hard to to, to like make changes to to improve his life you know I, I was interested to know because of what he went through and and because of what happened to you last year where you tragically lost your brother due to a, a drug overdose was was working on this cathartic in any way or was it ultra painful or, or was it neither of those things? Well, the film was finished. I've changed like bits and pieces since then, but the film was finished, like 95% finished before my brother died and he was still working on royal dog shit. I don't even know. I don't know if there's any correlation between the two because my brother dying, there's, no, there's nothing that changes it. You just have to like deal with it and... I honestly thought for a while I didn't know if if that if that like gave me more of a license to talk about drugs. I don't really know. I don't. I don't. There's there's an odd connection too because when Andrew was sending me Royal Dog Shit tracks like Internal Maze, I shared them with my brother and he was really hyped on them. And I thought it was super relevant to him because he was he was coming up on two years of sobriety. Oddly, when I was showing my brother those tracks that were you know explicitly about drug use, he like. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Your brother could see something in the in the music, or could sort of relate to what he was, what was coming through in the music, lyrically, maybe. Totally, and that's so not up his alley as like weird um, music or like like lo-fi weird music. Um, but he was he was psyched, and it opened up some conversations with us from his like crazy drug years. I'd love to get you to talk also about droid surfing because I feel like he's got one of the most original approaches to to the lip you know he barely does airs he doesn't do that many airs but yet he's surfing yeah. so radical i was psyched on his surfing since i saw him as a grom and it's funny because the grom videos of me still has like the same the same exact style and uh i talked to him about it and he's like yeah it's kind of the same but just like a little more cute <laughs> yeah he's got really cool almost like maybe a little bit of like archie and ai movements yeah, very unique. A lot of it might have to do with his equipment. He, you know, rides pretty odd equipment. I don't know. I thought this was interesting. I showed Noah the film, and he was just, he was super hyped on it and was said, surfing's all about style, and he's got it. Wow, that's a good quote. Uh, yeah, I thought that was super cool. I know Noah, Noah and Creed and all those dudes love Droid, and um, I was stoked to share the film with them and get good feedback. That was, that was definitely a positive affirmation. Yeah, he, he's he's a pretty lovable guy. Well, he's one of the true originals in the surf. Like, he, there's no one that 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 does those like those huge waft layback big big turns that he that he does in in that way. You know, that's like a full signature move for him. And then just everything else about his approach is is I don't know. It's pretty unique. It's very raw. 
I might be unique in this, but I even like his fails, you know, when he like goes up for a big layback, but just grips the face instead of releasing and just like has to like contort out of it all weird. I don't know. It's very expressive, just cool surfing. That's for sure. And I feel like the film's super expressive in, way, in a way. And it has this deep element, but yet it's it's like also like kind of super abstract and interpretive. And uh, I feel like it might be your best film so far. I don't know, maybe because it's just fresh and so I'm all excited about it. That's really cool. I appreciate that. You talk about the creative process a lot. Where does that influence stem in your life? I guess just like when I was younger, I was got into like reading and um, getting into like kind of weirder films like Werner Herzog stuff and definitely like was a lot like hugely influenced by that at some point. Have you ever seen the Frank Zappa documentary Baby Snakes? The the stop frame animation in that reminded me of of the animation at the start of the film. Oh really? No, I have not seen that. Yeah, it's kind of got this like a couple of like brain sequences like that are similar to the 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 car. Who um who did the stop frame? Um uh, me and this guy named Joel Fox from from Ohio helped me out. That just came from on one of the first trips, Andrew everyone got drunk on the boat everyone was like just being like rock raucous started destroying stuff on like there's like a group of girl surfers on the boat and um, it was some one of their birthday and everybody got kind of drunk and mitch colburn first started busting shit up <laughs> broke a bottle on the deck and andrew was inside didn't know even what was going on and like walked out and just like turned around and grabbed a vacuum and threw it overboard. And um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, there's several other things like just, I guess his buddy Tromberg calls Roid moments where he just like short circuits, you know? <laughs> so that's where the name for the film comes from? The name short circuit comes from one of his tracks on his, on his album that he sent me. Oh, okay. But I mean, he just... He does just short circuit, and uh, <laughs> and his name is Droid, which is you know whatever. I just had this picture of a brain or of a robot taking over a brain and smashing it into a wall. But I went home and and just like started making court cardboard like scene stuff, and found a toy that could that had like movable legs so that I could do it, and then tie taped magnets to its feet and put a magnet strip under the sidewalk and like just turned into this i don't know it was a lot of it was a lot of work but it doesn't even feel like work because i i i like doing stuff like that it's fun you've got so many uh feathers in the creative cap like you've done like all the clothing stuff obviously summer teeth and former and the films and are there any creative efforts that you have that we don't see like is there like a oil painting portrait series somewhere in your garage <laughs> you'd probably laugh if you saw all the cardboard trains and trash trucks i've made <laughs> that's about it though <laughs> What, are they just for the kids? My oldest boy, Sammy, for some reason has been obsessed with making things out of cardboard since he was like two. Right. And still is. He just made like a massive cardboard semi-truck. <laughs> so there's no like, there's no Dane Reynolds acoustic album? No, I'm horrible. I'm, I am, I have no, no sense of rhythm and I'm tone deaf. That's funny because <laughs> your music choices are all, they're pretty pointed in a certain way. Like they're all sort of like this non-linear, like kind of almost anti-pop. I'm not really sure why that type of music is appealing to me, but I've always leaned toward raw, expressive type of stuff, like old bright eyes. And like somebody showed me 
Peel Slowly and See, which is like the Velvet Underground box set before I had ever heard any other Velvet Underground. And like the fourth disc is all like demos. All right. Had that on repeat. And then when I actually heard the real album like a year later, I was like, it has so much less character. I, I'm not sure what draws me to it, but I kind of drawn to more like expressive, like raw stuff that's not overly produced or thought out. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely been a thread throughout your stuff. Is that kind of is that rawness? Hey, how are we going for time? You still got a bit of time. Can I hit you up some questions about Eddie? Mm-hmm. It's kind—I of, guess it's kind of big news at Formula. You've got Eddie Mayoshi joining on the, with the brand as a general manager. So he's come from—he was a former CEO of Half, and prior to that, he was a manager at Volcom. And I just wanted to know. Other than obviously his experience and qualifications, what made you want to get him on board? Um, when he was the CEO at Huff, we had a, a mutual friend consulting us to try and figure out a way to partner up, partner with somebody, um, just to get more resources and more more like ability for growth and just any just real any real infrastructure or because, I mean, former at that point was still just like an idea, you know, like we sell stuff, but like there's no plan or strategy for growth. Well, you like this? Let's sell this. <laughs> yeah. So you guys, I guess you guys get excited about the fun stuff, which is the creative side and making things. And then the entrepreneurial stuff or the business structures is the stuff that it's hard and fuck, who wants to do that, you know? Yeah, totally. So a mutual friend talking to Eddie and they were like, just kind of trying to identify if there was any brands that had potential to emerge like post Ruka, like Ruka is the last one that really emerged onto like the big <laughs> business size. Yeah. And, um, they said that they saw potential informer and just liked the brand and liked its, its identity. And he brought us to Eddie to talk about potentially partnering up with Huff, basically getting bought out by TSI, which is Huff's parent company. And, sharing resources with Huff as its sort of sister surf company, you know? Yeah. And we went through like the whole process and like trying to identify all the sort of kinks and problems with it because they really wanted it to be a surf company and Austin's an owner. And um, we were just trying to figure it all out um, with Eddie and TSI and uh, Huff. And then um, it fell apart. Sound like TSI wasn't happy with. Um, Wait, what's TSI again? TSI is Huff's parent company, Japanese company that bought Huff. Oh, sorry, you said that. They overpaid for it and weren't happy about it. And Eddie was trying to ref- basically reel in the business for longevity instead of like just blanketing the market and going every Phillies, every whatever order. And it didn't end up in working out with him and TSI. And then we just kept the conversation going and he got really, he's just, got really excited about um coming on as a partner and we've you know officially made it happen it's insane how much like just strategy and and critical thinking and and just um infrastructure that he's built so far i mean we were just we were out of my garage for 18 months you know like it was it was a small very small scale thing and yeah oddly it's feeling pretty promising right now Oh, that's good news. But I was, and I was interested to know, like, Formers so much smaller than 
you know, where he's come from, which is Volcom and half. So how do these things work typically? Like, do you offer him a chunk of the company or do you pay him a salary or is that, or is that just like, is that secret stuff? I don't know if that's stuff you should talk about. I have no idea, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, he was with Volcom when they were tiny. Right. So, I mean, I think that's why he sees potential informers because it's still just like an idea. It has an identity, but it's kind of a cult has a cult following it doesn't it's not um it's not widely available yet like we didn't have any support in australia or japan or anywhere like that so i think he just saw you know potential for a lot of growth and um we we ended up giving him a portion of the company and that's that's where it's at right now yeah yeah right and every time i've ever been part of a, a small team project there just naturally ends up being one person who either gets lumped with or just for whatever reason takes on like the bigger portion of work has that happened with you guys or, or is that you that was that was me for like 18 months and then it's been austin the last year has been grinding yeah um but we're making changes he needs he needs to go skateboarding more he wants to go skateboarding more, obviously, and um, uh, we're we're capable of of. I don't know. Basically, when we started, we <laughs> hired a bunch of friends, paid them well, hired like a guy to run the business, hired a designer, and then all of a sudden, eighteen months down the line, we're pretty much launching and running out of money at the same time. Yeah. And the amount of money we put in was completely an arbitrary number. Like we just were like, okay, I can put in this, I can put in this, I can put in this. And then we just like signed the deal and that was that. So there was no like sitting around doing maths, trying to work out projections and I don't know, like a forecast or something. No, no. And then, um, and then took 18 months to launch product and we launched and it went really well and we were basically just like high-fiving like and then we didn't have product to sell for another like eight months and we went broke again oh man basically like a pretty rocky road for a while we'd like be having a really slow month and i'd go in and they'd be like playing video games or whatever and i was just like no fuck this i i wanted it to be a ventura company so i moved into my garage with like a really short-term goal of opening up uh retail and warehouse in Ventura. Yeah. And then it kind of turned out that that was only my quest (laughs) and I wasn't receiving any support because they weren't supportive, you know? Yeah. Then there was really no moving back. So it just sat in my garage and we're just kind of treading water, trying to do what we could with what we had. Um, and then, like I said, last January, Austin wanted to take it over and, and have like a venue space and, and build a community in, in LA and then COVID. Yeah. Okay. And now, now, and now Eddie and now, yeah, lots going on all of a sudden. Good. And what about into the future? Like, what is the goal? Do you want to show up at the beach somewhere and see every kid wearing former or do you just want to see it on the right kids or how do you, how do you think about growth? not really in that way i mean it definitely stokes me out when i see a kid wearing former and i don't want to like point it out and embarrass them or either i don't know what the what the right way to do that is but it gets me soaked when i see um kids wearing former what if you saw like a hurley surf dad wearing former <laughs> that's pretty cool too that's yeah that's actually badass yeah i mean my goal with former is always to be very inclusive and 
that's where we kind of like were on different pages in the beginning. My friends that I, I, we we had hired definitely had a different idea of what we were starting. They wanted to be in boutiques and you know only on cool kids or whatever so-called cool kids but that's never really been my deal and um um, my ultimate goal with former is to have a successful like sustainable business that we can support surfers and uh skateboarders and and make films and actually be able to pay for it from selling clothes and really it's just a creative endeavor and i really wanted to just have enough legs to be stable and and for us to be able to finance our fun projects through it. I guess to circle back, I can imagine who you partner with. It's a really significant choice that you don't take lightly in any way. And so why is he the right guy? What is it about his character that you trust with to be involved? Um, To be honest, that is a really difficult, because we kind of like been talking to him forever, but to come get over the threshold to where he's actually a partner um, that's a huge commitment. And we've talked to lots of people who promise a lot and don't deliver. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to, we'll be rich in six months. Like, oh, you, you just wait. Like, it's just like the shapers, like, I would order a board and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you've never ridden a board like this. This thing's like, <laughs> you're going to go the fastest you've ever gone in your life. So we've had lots of that. And we've really never seriously like courted partnership except for with Eddie. And he's been impressive with his critical thinking and strategy. And we've built a relationship over a year and a half before we signed the deal. You know, he's like shown that he's willing to contribute and help and believes in it without invoicing us every time for every minute, you know? You must have a lot of integrity around that stuff. And I, it stuck out to me that you said that, you know, when the parrot company wanted to maybe exploit the Huff brand, that he was he was someone who who wanted the long-term vision. And I think that was probably huge as well, right? For sure, yeah. Yeah, when he was telling us what he was trying to do with Huff, um, with kind of stepping back from from Tilly's and and stuff like that and building their own environment and basically making buying huff an experience owning their own stores and and controlling the experience that that people get from buying buff and uh, huff and um the messaging just for longevity rather than a quick sell-off you know like yeah, awesome, man. Well, um, is there anything else about that new partnership that's worthy of mention? Um, well, I'm kind of hammering Tilly's, but we sell at Tilly's. At <laughs> <laughs> when I started this, was just to like give somebody a voice that might have been left behind in the surf industry, but I found intriguing. Andrew, I think he's creative. Um, I think he's very creative. Uh, I think he's a really good surfer. I think he's a good dude. And the fact that I can give him some sort of context within the surf um, community and tell his story and release his music that he's worked on, um, that to me is like really stokes me out that that, um, that's where Former's at right now. I guess it's a pretty special moment just about to release that film and, and you've done exactly what you set out to do. Yeah. 
Where can people go to check out Droid's music? Are you putting that on Spotify or like where do you, where are you going to release all that stuff? It's on pretty much anywhere that you can uh, listen or stream music at the moment. The music's out there, but I haven't really been promoting it yet. Yeah, look up Royal Dogship. Royal Dogship. Royal Dogship. Thank you, Dane. That interview only really scratched the surface of some of the really interesting stories around the release of this film and what's going on for Dane and Droid personally at the moment. And there's actually two other interviews on the Stab Premium site at the moment. The first one with Dane by Taylor Paul and the second one is with Droid by Xander Morton and both of those links will be in the episode description. So please click on through and get stuck into those because they're both like incredibly candid and, and they're forthcoming with really personal information and it's they're both they're super entertaining reads and worthy of your time. Next up, I'm going to have a chat with the newest member of the STAB team, a guy who started out by penning articles under the moniker The Intern. I guess he actually started out as an intern, but now he calls himself Jack Mutzler, Mutzler. Muchla, Muchla, which is his real name, which also means that he's hanging around as a full-time member of the team. Jack wrote a story titled Youth Wasted on the Young, Does Experience in Surfing Outclass Electricity? Kelly Slater, Nate Fletcher, and Pete Mel should be playing shuffleboard in Boca Raton by now. Here's why they're not. Hello, hello. That works. I can hear you now. You hear me? Ah, uh, is it coming through like clean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you good. Hey, we've never spoken before, have we? I don't think so, no. Yeah, nice to meet you. What's going on, Danny Daniels? How did you start at Stab? Can you give me can you give me the the, the story or of how you came on board? Basically, I started a little like spoof Instagram account when uh John John released his Florence Marine X. I did uh, Florence Marinara X, <laughs> and and it, you know I just was like oh whatever it'll be fun to do, and like the first couple followers I had I saw like Ashton Goggins I was like what the fuck Stab started following me I was like what the fuck, and uh, I just kind of took off and then once uh, the Stab account followed me I was like oh like if I DM them they're gonna see it now so I just was like hey I'm looking for a job this is my cover letter if you want my full resume tell me where to send it. Nice. And then yeah. I got and then I got works. Mikey's email. Yeah, and I got Mikey's email. And after a few drunk emails to Mikey, I had a job. So you're from South Florida? Uh yeah. And I was lived South Florida my whole life and then I went to school up in Jacksonville. You're right. And what's the surf scene like in South Florida? It is terrible. Is it? It's yeah. It's not good. It's basically a lake most of the year, and then eventually you might get some wind chop here and there. Let's talk about this story you wrote. And so what was the impetus for this story? Impotence? You're bringing my, you're bringing my sex life into this right away, <laughs> Danny? That's pretty <laughs> fucked up. I don't know, actually. It's just like uh, I was just scrolling through Instagram, which is no, you know, it's like a young guy's thing. I usually see a lot of Nathan Florence things will pop up or a Kyle Lenny or Jamie O'Brien. But I feel like the past couple of months, the most shocking stuff I've seen has been from, uh, you know, a Nathan Fletcher or a Pete Mel. And then Kelly's got, I mean, he doesn't really post that much of his stuff, but he's always got eyes and cameras on him. So you always see his stuff. Yeah, it's just weird to think about that. These guys are 
pushing 45 and 50 and they're they're in charge still. It's not that they're serving well. It's like they're setting a standard. Who did you speak to when you were writing this story? Uh, the first person I spoke to was Pete Mel. It was probably like a day or two after his insane wave at Mavs. And I kind of, you know, I kind of had like the, I was going to target kind of towards like, you're an older guy. How are you doing this? And then I thought like, oh, maybe I should speak to Nathan Fletcher too because he's throwing these crazy airs and he's, Left and right, I'm seeing him on Instagram. I'm just thinking, holy fuck, how is he doing that? And then, unfortunately, I thought Kelly Slater was going to be the third one, but he actually left me on red when I DM'd him. <laughs> Couldn't get him. He's the one that got away. And do you get a sense these guys are aware of their mortality and, and that they're defying the age thing? Or are they just, are they just ripping and in some sort of denial? They all seem pretty emotionally. They seem pretty set, like where they're at. It seems like they've dealt with you know all the hardships in their lives and kind of just emotionally they're just they're set. And I don't even think they realize at first. I mean, once you get on Instagram and you see the the fucking traffic pile up, you got to know. But I feel like when they're out there and they do it, they're just like, oh, that was a cool one. And I guess like to me, like on one hand, it could be seen as inspiring, but on the other hand, to the average person who works all day or sits at a computer and has the busyness of general life and the stresses, is it even relevant or is it, is it realistic to think that this applies to the normal human? Uh, no, I don't think so. This is like, uh, this is very, not special, but like very selective. And I think, you know, like someone, even my dad's like, 55 so that's only four years older than pete mel and i was looking at you know pete mel's wave the other day and i look over at my dad on the couch and i'm like if he fell on this he would disintegrate <laughs> he would he would turn to dust like in the cartoons and there'd be like the googly eyes on the pile of dust <laughs> i know it's this weird uh social pressure from these guys ripping into their 40s and 50s because you know, normally you could just get fat and, and lazy and be like, oh, my heyday yeah, is behind me. But like, now you have to compare yourself to these people that are ripping. It's like, it's almost, it's almost like a, a bummer, you know? And the fact is all three of them already have a big enough legacy to where they could just sit back and drink beers. And no one would question it. Everyone would be like, yeah, he earned it. Like, let him put on pounds. Let him, like, just watch TV and hang out. But they're not. They're, they're reassessing the entire situation and being like, hey, you could still do this. What was your biggest takeaway from the story? I think for me personally, something I was like, I sh what I should focus on from this is to take care of your body. Because each of these guys, they do, you know, they do their, their uh, breath trainings. They do yoga. They're very strict on their diets and they really take care of their bodies. And someone like me, I'm 22. I can barely touch my toes. You know, I'm just drinking beers left and right. I don't need a clean diet at all. I've been eating, I ate like six bag of fruit snacks today. Like that's not a, a good, a good game plan for life. So that kind of was like, you know what, maybe I should start eating cleaner and waking up and stretching and trying to take care of my body. Because if I can still surf like that, what they're doing and progress into my fifties, then I'm all, I'm all aboard. I'm all in. But how old is too old to be out there and still trying to rip? Honestly, if you asked me like two days ago, I would have said like 55 is probably the cutoff, but I just saw that clip of Michael Ho at Backdoor and I don't know, whatever he stops surfing them, we'll have the answer. <laughs>
But uh, that's getting tubed. And I feel like if you're in bigger waves that are, are really hollow, then the tube stance required is 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 pretty achievable for an old guy. I'm talking about like trying to actually rip and performance surfing up and around the pocket and, and like just bury rail and burying rail. Like what's the, and especially for like someone like Nathan Fletcher, who's getting so high airborne coming down on these, what are eventually going to become brittle bones. Like how old is too old to rip? I don't know. I think right now Kelly's probably the oldest one still holding that title of actually ripping and tearing through turns, but he's a freak of nature. So I don't, I don't think his body, whatever like it is, his body is made of is not in the next person's body. So I would put like maybe 54 for anyone else. <laughs> Kelly probably like 60. <laughs> you think Kelly could be in his seventies and still like, you know, drawing an incredible roundhouse cutback and, and smashing oh. the lip like with precision in his seventies. Is that realistic? Absolutely. But it's going to start to hurt. You can't, yeah. I mean, there time is inevitable. No one can outrun time. And eventually there's going to be nothing left between those joints and it's just going to be bone on bone. But yeah, it's, it doesn't seem like it's happening anytime soon. Unless technology comes through with some huge yeah. uh, bionic, bionic legs or stem cell, level of uh recovery i don't know kelly slater's got the whole wave pool technology maybe they're building robotic knees and shit over there too instead of water in the wave pool it's just stem cells and after it one surf <laughs> you, you become completely uh rejuvenized that would be insane that would be insane that would be That's all we have this week. Thanks for listening and tell your friends. Hang on a sec. Has is calling me back right now. Has Daniel, are you there, mate? Yeah, hold on. Hold on a sec. Can you hear me? Yeah, mate. I got you. Oh, how are you? Where are you? I'm in Kimber. Kimber? Where the hell is that? Kimber. It's smack bang halfway across Australia in uh in uh South Australia, just just below Port Augusta. No way. Yeah. Hey, what is going on with your voicemail? It says send an email in if it's yeah. if it's urgent. Like, I went core on it because I was like when me and Caleb were going across Oz, I didn't have reception for like three me- three weeks. You know, but it was more just if my phone didn't even ring. You know, like. <laughs> It was more when we were up at Toomey's. Um, we were up there for ages and you could check your email. Oh, yeah. So I was just like, so I was just like fuck, if, if, any, if any prick needs to touch base with has. Hey, um, I'm actually recording you right now because I rang you up to quickly uh, to chat about your new flick. Oh, cool. Um, cool. Congrats, man. It's, it's fucking psycho. Thank you. Cheers, How, for, cheers for watching. I can't believe you found so many massive ramps like they're, they're the sort of ramps that you i feel like people look for and get a couple a year and you just had a whole like six more minutes full of just the chunkiest meatiest sections i know it, it's um it's yeah it's one of those things that it, i just feel like i wasn't even looking for them at the time they just kind of found me um some some of them i wish i could have had over and over again because um yeah, and that kind of got to show in the video as well. Like I had, 
there's a lot of that I didn't make in there, and I kind of I kind of liked that Jerry included those in there because it kind of nice to rewatch and good to kick out the back every now and then. But um, yeah, I think it's like one of those things as well. It's still entertaining to watch, even though you're right away from the air or something like that. You know, you can, yeah. You know, I, I hope that it's like that for other people to watch it. Like, I hope that like, oh, he didn't even make it. Or he's like, he didn't even make like fucking. 80% of the shit that he tried, but I don't know. I just kind of thought that it was entertaining to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's the master. Joji, he definitely knows what he's doing. And then when you exactly. do stick when you do stick one, it makes it even more special just showing how many yeah. how many attempts went into it and how hard you were pushing it. I was actually freaking for you that you were going to bust your legs because you were, you, were, <laughs> you were pretty committed on even some of the ones you don't make. They're so on top of the board into some pretty – Pretty yeah. fucking flat sections. Oh, the old um, the old knees are starting to get pretty sore. I've been trying to trying to like kind of base skull can WD forty every morning and get them moving. <laughs> Nowadays, it's like coming into my coming into my mid twenties, mate. I'm starting to get a little bit sore, but I um. And what are you doing now? Are you just burn around in the desert? Are you just surfing or what? What's yeah, yeah, just. Just surfing. We've just kind of been driving around like lunatics, trying to find some blue skies and offshore conditions. And safe to say, we found them. So oh. we're just driving, driving back, pretty cooked at the moment, and had a couple of forty-five degree days. No way. Some of the hottest weather I've ever felt. Actually, forty-five. Really scared. Forty-five. Yeah. What? Forty-five yesterday. It was so psycho, and it's like forty-two right now. Oh, I'm speaking to you. <laughs> Man, your phone's probably melting through your hand. I'll um, I hope you survive the heat. <laughs> I'll survive. We've got we're it's good. We're in we're in good like high cars and we've got aircon and we're cruising. Oh, and, that's um, good. Couple of yeah, couple of piss breaks. No, no pissing in any jerry cans this trip, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, is that the standard procedure? Yeah, on the um. On the drag trip down to Melbourne, I I took a jerry can purely just for to lim- eliminate piss stops. So I was getting passed around the <laughs> this mini bus. Oh, that is gross. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, I've had that happen to me before, where I think I'm going to save all this time, and then I'm like trying to piss in like a water bottle with a really small entry, and I just end up pissing all over myself, and then. I know. You know, like five minutes down the road, I end up just getting stopped in roadworks anyway. So it was just all for nothing. <laughs> covered in piss. Yeah, just sitting there covered in, covered in piss for no reason at all. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. All right, man. Well, um, yeah, uh, travel safe and... Um, I will, Danny. I'll give you a whistle soon and we'll, we'll chat some more. Okay, mate. Sounds unreal. Keep it real.